Welcome to Sportsman of Colorado, Colorado's premier outdoor radio show heard every Saturday afternoon on KLZ 560 with insights on hunting, fishing, archery, guns, and ammo from Colorado's top outfitters featuring the industry's leading experts on how to enhance your experience in the great outdoors. Now, here's your host, Scott Watley. Good afternoon and welcome to Sportsman of Colorado. Hey, beautiful day here in the Mile High City, and we thank you so much for joining us. We've got a jam-packed show in store for you. Hey, we're going to be talking with our good friend Wilmar Court with Davis Tent. Dan Gates uh, just attended the latest uh, CPW commission meeting, I guess would be a proper term for that. So Dan's going to join us and tell us about a few events that are coming up with the uh, Colorado Sportsman Conservation Banquet and um, also Outdoorsman Dave. So Dan Gates is going to join us there. And then hopefully a buddy's going to join me that um, was on our recent trip to Pivas Point Lodge out of Juneau, Alaska, actually on Admiralty Island. And uh, he's going to join us near the end of the show, and we're going to tell you a little bit about our recent trip to Alaska. But good to start it off today with Will Marquardt, owner of Davis Tent. Bud, good to see you. Hey, Scott. Great to be here, man. Oh, man, it's hard to believe it's this time of year already, huh? Man, it is, too. I'll <laughs> tell you what. You know, we never know exactly the week it's going to happen when everybody decides they want to get a tent, but last week was the week, so or this week or whatever. Right. Yeah. Well, at least they're not waiting until, you know, the week before. Oh, they will. Archer season. <laughs> hey, you still got that group of guys, right? Yeah, but we've got uh, – we're kind of in a lot different position than we've been in for a while because we actually have some tents in stock and uh, so yeah we're able to get things out the door pretty quick man and our custom production is only running about four weeks right now so now you got some pretty cool stuff man you were just showing me before we came on air here your 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 wheels are always turning what else can we make to make uh yeah everything we need here so tell us about a few of the items yeah well one thing that you know we've kind of we, we've always sort of put together if somebody wants to patch a tent or whatever we'll figure it out and get them some canvas glue or tape or whatever but we put together three patch kits that you can find online uh super easy they're the small one includes like if you need a zipper slider that's a good one to buy because it includes a zipper slider for your front door uh, and also has six inches of tape in it and some canvas that's our small uh patch kit it's 10 bucks we got our medium one is 15 wow. bucks, and that includes glue, uh, a glue product that's 14 bucks if you buy it alone, and a nice size piece of canvas. Let me see. I got one right here. How big is that piece of canvas? Uh, 30 inches by 10 inch piece of canvas. Or we got our large one that is a 60 by 10 inch piece of canvas with glue. So, and that one's 20 bucks. So, wow. these are just good things to have in your toolkit. Sure. You know, when you're out in case something happens, and uh, you can go online. Look at our accessories. You'll find patch kits. Order one or stop by the shop. And it takes it takes a little bit of pressure, man, to need a patch, first of all, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. And, you know, if you need a patch, it's these things set up in, like, 15 seconds, and they're good in two minutes. So this is just a – but a lot of things happen. You know, you get buddies in your tent, and that's almost always what happens. Or, or your brother-in-law <laughs> or something like that. You know, they're helping you set up your tent, and they rip it across yeah, the bolt all on top. Yeah, and you hear, uh-oh. Right, yeah. and so it's super nice to have something like that. So anyway, we just did that from a convenience standpoint, and that's, gotcha. uh, yeah, one one simple, easy thing to put in your toolkit. Absolutely. And then you got some cool-looking, and we're gonna, I'm going to take some pictures of this put on our Facebook page, but uh, tell us about this little loop ordeal here. Yeah, Scott, if we were on YouTube right now, I, I know. could demonstrate we got to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got this little strap we call a hold-tight strap, and uh, what it's for is, 
you can take this strap and you take just the one side of rope off your tensioner and you put it through the strap or through a little uh, opening in the strap, kind of a loop, and then your spike goes right through a grommet. So all kinds of people have welded uh, washers and things to the top of their stakes to keep their guy lines on, especially when it gets windy or if they loosen up a little bit. Well, using this whole tight strap, they're 12. They're they're not even on our website yet. You can stop in our shop, but they'll be up soon. Uh, 12 for 18 bucks, and you'll never lose a guy line off a spike again. So super easy. For those of you who know what Beckett's are, those are how you can attach your wall tent to the ground without ever pounding a stake through your tent. Well, these also allow for that same kind of thing. We can show you how to do it. Then you never have to worry about your stakes freezing in the ground and ripping your tent trying to get your stakes out or wrecking your ground. they do. (laughs) Absolutely. And so this little product... uh, you know, it's these are both both of these products are just convenience products for our customers. You know, it's right. not like they're going to change the world or anything, but they are super. Both of them are super nice to have. Mm-hmm. So kind of neat. Check them out, DavisTent.com, and and boy, they have everything so set up cool on their website. You can see all their different packages. But once again, Will was telling me before the show here, they're always thinking about something, and even they're going to be breaking out with another new tent. So tell us about that. Yeah, I can't mention the name of it yet. It's okay. not launched yet. But watch our social media August 1st because we're going to give away three of them. And uh, I call it our bivy killer tent uh, because it's enough like a bivy that it might make you think of one. But you're going to like it in a way that you never liked your bivy. Uh, all the convenience, but a whole lot more you can deal with or do with it. So sure. it's kind of it's, it's going to be a really neat product. And my goal and don't hold me to this because I don't have every duck in a row. But my goal is going to be to uh, roll that product out under $300, including pulls. Wow. Pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah. So do you find most people that come in and buy a tent, are they buying their first <clears throat> tent or m- most people replacing some type of tent they've had? Well, I would say the common thing is that they have a buddy or knew a guy with a Davis tent. That's super common. Uh, a lot of these guys, a lot of people, their grandpa had one or their dad had one, you know, and 40 years ago or something like that, and they're upgrading. So a lot of people get introduced to them through uh, just an outfitter or something because mm-hmm. we have hundreds of outfitting clients. Yeah, nor they see us online. I mean, we got a great website. We do. And we got a really great kind of digital footprint, so sure. people find us easily. And, I mean, the Davises made tents so great for so long that the reputation is there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really kind of a mishmash of things. I'm thinking about the last two. Like, there were two today. And uh, one of them never owned a tent before. Family. They're going to use it for family camping and some wintertime stuff for hunting. And then the other one was a guy out of Utah, and I think he'd seen us at a sports show. Okay. You know, like the Hunt Expo, the Mule Deer Foundation show. So kind of all over the board. Yeah. And I sent you some pictures recently. Quentin Smith with QRS Outdoors had bought some tents from you to use in Saskatchewan for his bear hunts. And I'm telling you, it's amazing to me how folks fix these things up with different floors and lighting and different things. I mean, dude, they're beautiful yeah Yeah, in fact uh somebody bought a tent yesterday and that's exactly they didn't mention quentin and certainly we have other outfitters in saskatchewan but Mm -hmm. it might have been him they were talking about seeing a tent across something in saskatchewan and looking at and thinking 
geez, I'm pretty sure that's a Davis tent. And then they knew, of course, when they got up there and they yeah. could see the logo and stuff. But, yeah, that's uh, it's kind of amazing. Guys uh, pimp out their tents pretty nice sure. a lot of times. Absolutely. Once again, it's Davis Tents, 4230 Broadway, 303-561-1817, 303-561-1817. And before we get to, to Dan here, one more question. Um What's the, what's that interview process look like? Somebody coming in to buy their first tent. I mean, what what are those key questions that you go over with folks? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that I'm going to want to talk to them about is how they intend to use their tent because that's going to impact, you know, like I had a family in this week. They were going to sleep on the floor. Well, that's fine because they were going to use it in the summertime. And if you're doing that, you don't need near as big a space as mm-hmm. if you're putting cots in it. So, right. you know, a 14 by 15 tent is for three or probably at the most four guys with cots. That same tent would easily fit six people in a stove and gear if you're sleeping on the floor. So how you use your tent or if you're going to use it long term. Uh, we're actually coming out with a whole new line of tents in September that will be focused on long-term high mountain usage in southwestern U.S. and Mexico because mm-hmm. they'll have a lot lot higher UV resistance than that most hunters would never run into. Right. They need the air exchange and the breathability of canvas more than they need heavy UV protection. So I want to know how they're going to use it, and then we're going to find out how many people are usually going to be in it. And then, you know, try to – you don't want to get somebody with a tent that's too big for them to set up, so it matters who's going to be setting it up. You know, I mean, do they, is it on a, two adults and two kids under seven years old? and one of the adults is less than 100 pounds, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you wouldn't probably want to get into a 16-foot wide tent because <laughs> it's just too much tent. But right. they could probably handle a 14-foot wide tent. Mm-hmm. And we do a lot of modular things now, too. So guys can use a tent that, you know, it's basically two pen- tents put together, but maybe they're going out solo or with one other guy, they'll take the small tent. They get together with their bigger group, they put them together, and they got a 14 by 25 space. So no. a lot of so it just depends on usage, and we just try to get them fitted into what makes the most sense. Cool. Hey, even got a doghouse. Shh, I'm working on a doghouse. Working house. on a doghouse. <laughs> right. Maybe I'm in the doghouse now. Hey, no, 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 okay. no. That's totally cool. <laughs> right. We are going to see a lot of things from us that are not necessarily traditional sleeping tents. You're going to see a doghouse. You're going to see a tack tent or kind of a gear tent. You're going to see a closet. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's in the pipeline right now. Some of it will roll out by about December 15th of this year. Some of it will probably hold off a little bit just to, based on testing. Right. All right. Good deal. Once again, it's Davis Tents. 4230 Broadway, 303-561-1817. And, hey, when you go in, give them a call. Let them know you heard them here on Sportsman of Colorado Radio, and we would appreciate that as well. Charlie, we'll skip this break here, and we're going to go on to our good friend, Dan Gates. Dan, how are you, sir? How are you, Scott? We're doing great, and i got Mr. Mark Ward here with us as well, sir. Hey, Dan. Hey, Will. How are you doing? Good seeing you. Good, good hearing you. Right. Good hearing you too, man. So, Dan, Scott, am I good enough? Am I good enough for sound, Scott? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You sound great. Good. So, I'm all right. In, you I'm just finished. Like up, usual. Uh, <laughs> you just finished up the commission meeting there. Uh, so, fill our listeners in and us about the details of that, if you can. Well, I'll give you a little bit of background of just a brief introduction. Uh, I'm the executive director for the Coloradoans for Responsible Wildlife Management, and I'm also the president for the Colorado Trappers and Predator Hunters Association. And we represent sportsmen and women at commission meetings and at the Capitol regularly. The Coloradoans for Responsible Wildlife Management is the only organization in the state of Colorado that's actually 
providing lobbying representation at the Capitol uh, pertaining to sportsmen and women and conservation issues. All the other, the, uh, the hook and bullet groups, the conservation groups, do a fabulous job on what they do, but their tax status doesn't allow them to do what our, our acronym, CRWM, does. And so we try to stay abreast of all the things that are happening and try to make some sort of a inclusive, collaborative effort with a, a multifaceted bunch of individual groups. And the commission meeting that we just attended in Gunnison, as you mentioned, um, was the one that it was, it was short on the agenda. It doesn't mean it's any less important. But there were three new commissioners that were appointed under Governor Polis, and they, they took the seats during this meeting. And uh, we were fortunate enough on the, on the first night for a group of individual sportsmen organizations from Gunnison and around the state, uh, national, regional, and local organizations, to be able to, to provide a sportsman conservation dinner for those commissioners and the staff and the ranchers and conservationists, hunters and anglers in the, in the Gunnison Valley. And um, there wasn't a lot that happened. Uh, there were some things that happened at the, at the meeting itself, but it's, it's, it's interconnectivity and being able to, tri- to provide a, a welcoming component of interaction and collaboration for sportsmen and women. It's, and I, I just got to tell you, Scott and Will, if we don't figure out a way to engage from our community at a level that maybe we're not always comfortable with, but if we don't figure out a way to do this more wholeheartedly and more in step with each other, we're losing significant ground. And, and that's one of the reasons why the multiple organizations that, that most of us are members of are trying to collaborate and come together and, uh, and figure out how we can do what's best for Colorado's natural resources, wildlife, and wildlife management. Yeah, you know, and I talk to people every day, Dan, and sportsmen and women really don't quite understand that yet. Uh, you know, they're used to doing what they do and supporting the conservation efforts uh, that they do, which are awesome, and we certainly support that as a business. But I don't think they get the legislative piece of it and the fact that the people that are not uh, going to be on our team that's what they give for. They give for legislative and legal efforts to fight against us. And so that seems like a big part of the battle is, you know, getting the, getting the word out there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and I, I'll be honest with you, I think we have taken uh, for granted what we have in North America as far as what we think is, is a privilege and a right uh, that everybody else should agree with us, and and what happened in the days of, of of the past, in you know the the early to mid 1800s and early 1900s, and how conservation became a staple of today's modern age wildlife management through science-based management objectives. There's there's a difference that you know some people on the opposite side see us as as murderers and slaughterers and and abusers of the landscape. Well, in the last 125 years, under the North American model of, of wildlife conservation, uh, that, that has changed, and it's changed from sportsmen and women who have imposed taxes, rules, and regulations and processes and procedures just so everybody on the landscape can benefit off of hunting, fishing, and trapping and conservation efforts. Absolutely. Dan Gates is our guest. Dan, real quick, and I know Will's got some questions for you, too, but, you know, we just got a new director, and um, I've exchange some emails with him and inviting uh, him on the show as well. But like these three new folks that have just um, got new posts there, is this something where 
there were 50 people that applied for this and they go through a really good selection process and or is this something that polis just points his finger and says this is who i want well i'll I'll speak candidly but but cautiously at the same time scott and will um giving people the benefit of the doubt i think is imperative and and Anybody that's willing to put their name in the hat for public service at any capacity, whether it's an elected no, or an appointed yeah. or just a volunteer position, uh, they—I mean—they—they they think that they're doing what's right in their minds. Now, what I would say is, I do honestly believe that Governor Polis and and his uh, spouse uh, Marlon Reese uh, have agendas toward. Uh, things that maybe we're not so likable about. Yes, and, and to do that, they're going to turn around and appoint people that are maybe more like-minded to them. However, what I will say, the caveat to that is, if people take this position, these positions and jobs seriously, they're going to do so for the best benefit of wildlife and natural resources and, and what Colorado and its visitors have come accustomed, become accustomed to. And, and, and people that are appointed don't always make bad decisions. Uh, and for instance, I'll use myself as an example. I was appointed under Governor Hickenlooper and under Governor Polis to sit on the Habitat Stamp Committee, which takes sportsman dollars and puts it in the conservation easements in perpetuity for, for a variety of different reasons. I'm not a bad guy. Uh, I met the criteria, and I, and I moved into the positions uh, with graciousness. But, but there's a lot of people that do that, and it doesn't matter whether they have an R or a D or an I in front of their name. And... Uh, I would I would ask the general public to give all commissioners uh, the, the benefit of the doubt and and work with them at any single level and show you know respect and concern for the issues. But it also they need to hear from the people that that all these laws, rules, and regulations affect, mm-hmm. and whether that's outfitters or or the ag community, ranchers and farmers and trappers and hunters and bird watchers and fishermen and. It, we have to figure out a way to connect with them to get them to understand why, when, where, and how we do what we do and, and how we want to do that uh, in sustainable, you know, obligatory fashion. Right. Well said there. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, it, is a, it is a big deal when somebody volunteers to serve like that, and I I agree with Dan that we should, we should definitely not uh, make – snap judgments or uh, act like they're not going to look out for our best interest. Uh, we need to let them show, you know, what they believe and uh, if they're going to support sportsmen before, be a sportsman before we worry about anything like that. Yeah. So, Dan, what would you say three biggest needs? If you had to prioritize some things, what are, the, what are three things you would pick out that we need to get across to our listeners today? I think um, – First and foremost, they have to realize that, that in my mind, in a lot of our minds and our coalition efforts, we are under attack and assault from an, an agenda-driven mentality that does not see eye-to-eye to us on a lot of things. We might have a similar interest with different goals of how to achieve that, with different outcomes, and, and to, to do what we need to do we, we need to be streamlined. We need to have blinders on, sideboards. We need to engage. We need to help finance uh, the representation and the interaction and engagement at this level to where we can actually div- defend things at a commission level or a legislative level or a 
a ballot initiative. Those are those are three legs of the stool that the opposition is going to utilize, mm-hmm. and they're going to utilize the path of least resistance. And I think uh, information and education is imperative, guys. But at the same time, so is motivation and activation. And and you know we had a very good turnout at this at this commission meeting. And like I say, we fed. Uh, provided a wild game feed for the commissioners and staff and, and local residents and, and stakeholders, uh, just like we do at Sportsman's Day at the Capitol in, in April. Uh, and, you know, it's building relationships, but it's also interacting with people that are making decisions about how things that they do affect us. And I don't care whether whether we're, you know, an elk hunter or a muzzleloading hunter or an archery hunter or an upland game bird hunter. We need to figure out a way that we could all be hunters. And I, I use this analogy frequently, and, you know, people that segregate themselves and say, I'm African-American or I'm, I'm Cuban-American or I'm Jamaican-American or whatever, the, whatever it is, we're all Americans. And I think that when it comes down to with hunting, we're all hunters. Sure. And, and archery guys need to not be ragging onto the, onto the uh, muzzleloading guys and the, and the bear hunters shouldn't be griping about you know, the, the trappers or the upland game bird hunters or whatever the, whatever the crossover may be, we are all in this together, and the opposition's mind is to take it all away from us. It doesn't matter what we do, what we pursue, how we do it, method of take. Um, their job is to take it away, and our job is to figure out a way to make sure they don't. So we can wait till for good times to fight amongst each other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could have differences of opinions. I mean, all of us have been to a family reunion. It doesn't mean you turn around and go out individually with those people, but we, but we go to the family reunion because you got the, the same surname or the same you know genealogy line or something. But that doesn't right. mean that, that we're best friends. But, but let the other guys come and try to cross over to, to, to argue with one of us, and then we're going to back our family up. One of the one of the things you mentioned, Dan, uh, was I mean, engage. Another thing you mentioned was finance. Uh, that seems to be, uh, I mean, both of those things are obviously a big deal, and maybe they kind of uh, are two sides of the same coin. But that's one of my biggest concerns: is you know how real, how do we finance these things? How, you know, if we were used to doing this like we were used to be doing conservation, it wouldn't be a problem. But we're not used to doing this, and hunters don't necessarily have that mindset. I mean, how are we going to engage those people to help finance the fight that's ahead of us? You know, that's, I think that's the the uh, $128,000 question, and if we had $128,000 to answer those questions, we wouldn't be griping about financing. But, <laughs> the, you know, all of, the, all of those uh, acronym groups that I mentioned, that we, that we formed this coalition, the Colorado Wildlife Conservation Project under – uh, we we individually, you know, kind of take care of our own purse strings, our own bank accounts, and we haven't figured out a way to crack that egg because of the way that they were structured originally, back in the '60s and '70s and even '80s and later, that they became they became advocacy groups for conservation and habitat. They didn't become they didn't get formed because of the fight, and the, and there's a different tax status and what you can and can't do and. And so when somebody contributes to the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, for instance, and, and they put money into the pot, it goes for great purposes. When they go to the banquet and they spend $3,000 or whatever, it goes for great purposes. But it doesn't historically go to the fight to stop the opposition because of the way that they were formulated. And, and so when people kick money into one pot, I'm not saying take it out of that pot. Figure out a way to put more money into another pot of organizations such as the one that I represent, the Colorado for Responsible Wildlife Management, 
the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, uh, maybe it's the Sportsman's Alliance, maybe it's Safari Club International that has lobbying representation in Washington, D.C., and is the biggest lobbying representative organization in the, in the United States and mostly around the world. Uh, we have to figure out a way to divide our finances to where it goes into different pots and, and through a variety of different means without dividing and conquering ourselves, saying, well, I'm a member of this, and I pay my $40, and I get a magazine, and that's good enough. Because it was in the 70s and 80s and 90s, but it's not any longer. And whether that's individual contributions or whether that's a larger you know, endowment-type contributions, I'm not really sure. But there has to be a way to better finance our objectives because if people don't see like-minded outcomes and visions and 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 in a way to be able to, you know, provide discretionary funding to different components and different conduits. I don't know whether we can pull this off. Uh, we're trying to conquer the short-term stuff for long-term goals, but this animal rights activism is not going to go away just because Governor Polis um, is termed out in three and a half years. It's still here. A lot of those commissioners that he appoints, good, bad, or indifferent, could be here. For, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. And that doesn't mean you're going to get somebody who's more favorable to our likings in this state uh, in three and a half years. Uh, maybe we do, maybe we don't. But we have to tell the story, and the truth of the story is what we provide for hunters and anglers, for conservation efforts, for natural resources that everybody in the state of Colorado benefits off of that a lot of people don't realize because they think that CPW is, is, is parks and rec and they think that their taxes pay for conservation. We, we, we do a piss-poor job of advertising our message and education. And what I would ask if anybody's listening on here is to do some research, to do some fact-finding, and figure out what they think they can do volunteer-wise, but also financially. And if they, if they can't do it themselves, figure out somebody else that can. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fight that is going to continue, and we just have to figure out how to crack that nut. Yeah, well, we're with you, that's for sure. <laughs> for and sure. so anything I can do... Uh, let me know, and I've got some ideas that I'm working on as well. So, Dan, you mentioned you mentioned several groups just kind of that, that you're involved with. So what's the message then to our listeners of, of how they can help and get involved? I mean, is there one website that we should give out? I think we're going to confuse a lot of things if we give out more. I can put more in a post later after the show. But, I mean, what should we give out for people to look at and then hopefully give some money to? Well, and I'll tell you, I mean, the, the website that we would refer people to as far as this particular talking point in Colorado is SaveTheHuntColorado.com. Now, Will and I have discussed this at length, and we're trying to figure out a way to enhance our footprint and, and broaden that net, so to speak, as far as outreach. But, but with all due respect, and Will and I, you know, it's not we, we don't butt heads. We're on the same page. We're just trying to figure out a, a way to navigate the landscape. The problem that we have is there's very few of us that are fighting the fight, and I'm talking every single day. I mean, I'm putting 60 to 80 hours a week into this stuff myself, and I still have a business, and I still have a family, and I'm still on other boards and committees, uh, and I still try to take time to go hunting when seasons come around. We don't do the best job that we are doing is what we possibly could, but we don't have the financial resources to fight, to educate, to turn around and, and, and provide an education component of distribution and publication and then turn around and do all the stuff that's necessary. And that's, that's probably the weakness that we have. But if you look at the weakness with all the other organizations that I mentioned, 
they're doing really good at fundraising. They don't do a very good job at fundraising for the fight. And, right. and uh, our, our adversaries do a great job of that. And if you go to their websites, they figured out how to get money out of anybody. I mean, look at the commercials they put on. Look at the <laughs> website stuff. You know, you, I mean, they, they, they're, they're, it's a money-making machine for them to be animal rights activists. Mm-hmm. And, and for us, it's not been a money-making machine to be animal welfare advocates. And we haven't figured out a way to, to, to counterbalance that. But to answer your question, that, that SaveTheHuntColorado.com is the mechanism we have right now. Okay. And, um, and and it's it's an opportunity for people to engage. We're trying to escalate our position on the landscape with these other coalitions that we've built. The biggest thing I could say is pay attention. Uh, if, if they don't like my message, uh, somebody out there, you know, that's why they have different churches, and that's why they have different channels on television. Sure. And, you know, just, just because you don't like somebody or you don't understand it, find out for yourself because— as we are sitting here talk of, talking about it, the ally the, the allies are doing the same thing, and the adversaries already know the game plan and the roadmap that they're going to pursue, and their intent is to stop what we do in Colorado, the western United States, and carry that through the rest of the country. And it's not going to happen over three to five years, but it damn sure could here. You know, I think it's important to also mention that, you know, if I didn't know a little bit more about this and I heard you say that, Dan, I would think that you are – uh, a little bit over the top on that, right? I mean, if you think about the average person, they might hear that and think, "Okay, it, it's yeah. not, it's not like not that bad." That's it's it it, it actually is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you, you guys look. Yeah. You look at when COVID happened. All right, how quick did the government tell us where we could go, where we couldn't go? You own your business, not really, because you can't open. Yeah. And guess what? You're going to wear a mask, whether you want or not. Right. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. And so yep. I think again, I think like you say, Dan. I think these next two to five years are um, essentially crucial. Well, there's. I don't know if you need to take a break or not, Scott. But there's a no. I'm, I don't think I'm going to skip them. I, I want to just get all we can in here today. <laughs> well, and what I was going to mention is, I mean, there's there's significant rumors about running a ballot initiative for the November 2024 presidential election to ban the harvesting of mountain lions in the state of Colorado. We understand that they've been trying to submit language to the title board and to the Secretary of State. We don't have definitive answers and as to what it would say and what it would, what it might entail, but but that's one thing that we know that that these individuals are trying to accomplish is 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 prohibit uh, or just you know restrict or prohibit the uh, the pursuit of mountain lions in the state. Well, now maybe that maybe that has to do with hounds. Maybe it has to do with a complete ban. Or maybe they tried like what they did on on the commission with a citizen's petition or at the legislature under senate bill 31 and they try to broaden their their uh, audience that, that we were successful in defeating four years in a row dan can uh, i just interject here real quick i have a question yeah. for you how long ago did yeah. they ban big cat hunting in california uh it's been overall about 25 years okay i know there was a study that came out that took a look at how many big cats that they killed for hunting and how many big cats are killed today for nuisance purposes are you familiar with that they they, they kill they kill about 35 percent more for damage wildlife <laughs> service type stuff than they did when they actually had hunting seasons and that's the same thing that we started out on bear issues here when they banned the ability to be able to harvest bears during the spring over bait with hounds and so forth and when we, we when we went to the spot and stalk method of, of september hunting 
uh, we historically, for the first 10 years, killed more bears uh, via damage complaints, depredation, nuisance-type stuff than we did when we were actually hunting. Yeah, and so uh, I'm thinking about people in Denver, Colorado, and Colorado Springs. I mean, the people on the West Slope are going to vote against that kind of thing if it came up. But, you know, what can yeah. people in Denver do? It seems like people in Denver that know better, uh, like a lot of hunters, can talk to their neighbors. Because you don't have to agree with your neighbor overall politically, but your neighbor, you know, if you know them, and there's probably a couple of them that you do, probably has some common sense, but they mm-hmm. might vote for it because they're hearing things from their party about it. And so oh, exactly. a big difference that you can just make on the ground when this kind of issue comes around is talk to your neighbors, and hopefully you're talking to neighbors that would vote differently than you. Yeah. Just about common sense, about what happened in California is an easy one, or what happened with bears like you're talking about, Dan. Well, and, and, and things like what they're additionally trying to do in this state, um, in the city limits of Denver for this November, they're running a ballot initiative to ban the sale of fur products, which, the way it's written, would include fly-tying shop material or tied flies and fishing lures that had uh, different fur products on them. And it would also include the hats and the garments and the bags and the jackets and stuff like what our organization helps to produce through the industry. It would, it, would, it would ban the ability to be able to do any of those sort of activities at the stock show or the ISE sports show because it's in Denver City. Now, it wouldn't be statewide, but, but how do you fight something that's in within a city limit and, and, unless you do some sort of an internal education campaign like what you're talking about, Will, to where people are willing to step up, talk to their neighbors, and provide some, some sort of support to the Chamber of Commerce and maybe to the mayor's office and, and whomever else that would understand the, the repercussions of such a ban. Uh, you know, there's, there's things on, on the horizon about banning the harvest of fur-bearing animals in the state. You know, we've got 17 species in that classification under Parks and Wildlife Management Objectives and, and under their models. And they don't want you to harvest uh, specific animals out of that classification, whether it be beavers or maybe it's red foxes, or it might even turn out to be just bobcats and raccoons and and the ringtailed cats and mink and muskrat or whatever it might be. The fact of the matter is it's not about the data. It's not about the science. It's the fact that they don't want any harvest. Their number is zero. And I would just assume put my faith and my efforts and my beliefs into the science-based driven component of what an agency like Colorado Parks and Wildlife does. Uh, I would trust my game agency to do that. And if they say we shouldn't do that because the data says we should, I'd be all on board to turn around and say we shouldn't do that. But just because somebody wants to take their emotional-driven agenda and, and stop me from doing what I pursue, what I love, what I provide, what I do for my family and what I do for the resource and what I do for conservation in general, then I've got a problem with it. And I think that the general public would have a problem with it if it was explained in that in that manner and fashion. You know, and just, just in case there's any... Uh other geeks out there listening to this uh like me in april of uh 22 uh, on hunt talk radio uh randy uh newberg along with shane mahoney did a five-part series on the north american wildlife model and boy you talk about a resounding success and how we're managing things today and what what's really what you're talking about dan or what i'm summarizing is 
that they're chipping away at that model and you know and you chip away enough of the edges and it becomes irrelevant and boy i'm telling you april 22 five-part series uh it's really awesome to just become educated on how amazingly effective that model uh, has been and how amazingly impactful and effective we've been in north america managing uh species and they're trying they're trying to erode and degrade that entire concept throughout the country you know the north american model of wildlife conservation is in canada and and uh, the united states and mexico it it is the most profound conservation model on the planet and it, it it's attempted to be emulated all across the world but they know how effective it is and that's what they try to degrade and erode because they think that resonates with their mission with their audience with their stakeholders and if they can turn around and create some wavering thoughts or or capitalize on on our successes and and bastardize it as opposed to pedestalize it it helps them raise money and it helps drive their machine and it helps continue for them to you know push us underneath their, their heel just like a cockroach in the corner. But one of the amazing things about that model, too, is uh, what it's done, what, what the efforts behind it and around it for conservation have done for animals like songbirds and other animals oh, that yeah. have nothing to do with game species. So you think of how many people love all the, including myself, love to look at the hummingbirds and the house finches and whatever <laughs> else that comes to my bird feeder. Uh those animals are largely supported by conservation efforts that are underpinned by the North American wildlife model. And and to that point, and 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 Scott, anytime you need to break or shut me up, go right ahead. No, go ahead. We got uh, a little uh, bit, and then we'll get into your outdoorsman days. But go ahead and finish your thought. Yeah. So 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 that, to that point, Colorado's got eighty game species, eighty game animals uh, that we can actually hunt and pursue. That there's regulatory effect to that management objective. Uh, there's 880 non-game species. Some of them are threatened or endangered uh, for a variety of different things. They might be, they might be, you know, in the water, out of the water. They may be in flight or on the ground. But, but the the sponsorship and stewardship of dollars that are spent on hunting and fishing licenses and excise taxes that go through the federal government on purchases through firearms and ammunition and archery equipment and fishing equipment. All of that pays for those other 880 species in Colorado on top of the game species. Mm-hmm. That's what people don't realize, and, and it's everybody benefits. You know, I'm the chair of the Colorado Wildlife Council for Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and that's the $1.50 peak fund that goes on every license that goes into the education campaign. I'm the chair of that thing. I've been on that committee for six years. Our mission is not to retain, not to recruit, not to retent anybody it's to educate about the benefits of hunting and fishing to where everybody understands legitimately why we have what we have and why we need to continue to fight for that in, in perpetuity absolutely once again you're listening to sports from colorado my name is scott watley along with Wilmore court owner of davis tent dan gates is also with us now outdoorsman days august 11th and the 12th presented by davis tent colorado shed company and royal gorge archery tell us about this event well, I, I appreciate the opportunity on that, Scott. I mean, uh, Will, Will bellied up to the bar on this with Davis Tent and, and is a major sponsor and a presenter on this. We've got a plethora of other sponsors as well. It's a two-day event at the Pathfinder Regional Park 
east of Canyon City on Highway 115 between Canyon City and Florence, right on the banks of the Arkansas River. The fabulous facility that Fremont County just put together in the last year, and they're, they're, they're putting the final touches on some of the other structures and, and buildings and pavilions there. Uh, we, it's two days of interactive uh, functions for, for seminars and demonstrations and wildlife calling contests and archery competitions and tutorials and hunter education and well, there's going to be there's going to be game calling contest, a ugly hunting dog contest. <laughs> I mean, there's a plethora of stuff on there that people should be able to come and interact and engage not only with the experts, but the people that do this for a living and the people that do this to to show the general public why and how. Now, it's not just for novices. Intermediates and experts are welcome as well. But the, the key point of this is that the main fundraising component of this is going to be on Saturday night, August 12th, for a conservation banquet that we're having. And the funds from that will end up going to sponsor the, the lobbying efforts of the Colorado State Capitol uh, for responsible wildlife management and the North American model of wildlife conservation. And, and we hope to get a lot of support from the general public. But what, one interesting thing that we're doing on Friday night is a presentation by Colorado Parks and Wildlife on their studies that they've done on mountain lions and bobcats in the state of Colorado. And then right after that, there'll be a free dinner that Blood Origins is putting on, and they are debuting their documentary that they worked with Safari Club International on called Lionheart. Mm-hmm. And it's about mountain lion hunters and houndsmen and what happens in the pursuit of mountain lions. It's, it's going to be a fabulous instructional educational night and it'll finalize the first day's events, and then the banquet that I mentioned will finalize the second day events as well. What time so does that start on the 11th? To, it starts at 10 o'clock in the morning on the 11th and goes to around 4. You know how trying to wrangle people is like trying to chase packing peanuts in a wind, windstorm, but <laughs> there'll be plenty of activities. But the, the event on Friday night for the Parks and Wildlife tutorial seminar uh, will be at 4.30, the Blood Origins uh, documentary and dinner will be at 5:30, and then on Saturday we'll start back up again right around 10 o'clock. People will show up early. There'll be some archery shooting and stuff going on earlier than that. Uh, the kids' fishing derby starts. That's free to the general public, and Parks and Wildlife is providing the first 100 fishing poles to kids. Uh, they can show up and, and fish to their heart's content. There'll be some stocking at the pond that's there, uh, and then there's a, a bunch of other activities that'll take place through that through that whole day be a little bit of live music through the day there's raffles there's auctions there's there's contests games um there's there's birds of prey demonstrations uh, wild game gutting and skinning and processing demonstrations uh jermaine hodge with phelps animal calls is going to be there uh we, we've got a really good jam-packed deal to get people outdoors understand the pursuits of wildlife in the same sentence with conservation and uh, and try to culminate it with two great evenings on, on Friday, August 11th, and Saturday, August 12th. Well, I need some digital media so we can share it on our uh, on our uh, Facebook and Instagram uh, pages. We were putting that stuff out today, and, uh, and there will be a full list of agenda uh, when things start on the website. Uh, they can either go to coloradooutdoorsmansdays.com, or if they want to make it easy, they can turn around and go to SaveTheHuntColorado.com. That's the, the CRWM website, and there's a link that'll take you to the other one. Uh, and and uh, we we look forward to you know 
uh, interacting with the general public. You know, for COVID, we kind of got shut down on multiple levels for everything. Sure. Uh, you know, they, they canceled everything. But I think we lose significant ground when we when we don't get a chance to interact and engage and participate. We did that at the Capitol. We did it at the commission levels. I mean, the ISC Sports Show. Everything was was disrupted, like you said, Scott. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're just trying to get back some sort of levity and and, and some sort of uh, continuity in what we're trying to accomplish. Right. This is your chance to meet the experts, prepare for the season, support the cause, and protect the tradition. And as Dan said, you can go to ColoradoOutdoorsmansDays.com. There's also a phone number for more information: seven one nine two seven five. Four zero seven seven. So, Dan, man, I wish we had more time, but I tell you, we'll do this some more because uh, we got to get this figured out. And uh, I know Will and I sure want to do our part and doing everything we can to help. So, we appreciate your time today, and uh, hopefully, we'll see you down there in August, sir. Appreciate your guys' time, and uh, like I always say, uh, keep your eyes on the skyline and your nose in the wind, and uh, aim small, miss small, guys. Appreciate your help. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Uh, thanks so much, Dan. All right. Hey, I know we haven't taken any breaks today, and I know my sponsors uh, uh, certainly will not mind because of what our show is all about, and we just wanted to get all the information we could from Dan. Terrell, we're going to go to the phones now. Um, Very good friend of mine, David Fields, uh, joined us in Alaska last week at Pibus Point Lodge. It is on the southern tip of Admiralty Island, and man, we just had a great few days there, and uh, Wilmore Court uh, here in studio. I was sharing some of my pictures with Will as well, and I mean, it's it's awesome. So, you want to check it out? Pybus.com. It's P-Y-B-U-S.com. And if you're looking for an Alaskan fishing trip, uh, I'm telling you, this is it. David, how are you, sir? Hi, Scott. I'm doing great, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing well. Hey, and uh, transparency. Dave's a Delta pilot, and I know he's flying around and. He landed the plane, told everybody he needed to take a few minutes to go on sports from Colorado, I'm sure. But <laughs> So, David, hey, we got a few minutes here, man. So I, I, don't, I don't want to sit here and just ask you a question, have you respond. Just just take a minute and just kind of talk about your thoughts on our trip there to Pibus Point Lodge. Uh, well, uh, I would say, first of all, I'm, I'm still grinning from that, from that trip. And uh, – and actually, it, it, it far exceeded my expectations. I was really expecting to go into a, a mainly just a, like a fishing lodge, but uh, that was more like a darn, more like a resort. Um, it was more like resort fishing. It's just it had more more activities and uh, and things than than I expected. Um, you know, from the from the girls uh, actually doing the the wakeboarding to uh, being able to take your own skiff out and do your own fish in the waterfalls and the uh, Hot tubs and a glacier walks, or not walks, but just the glacier of uh, rides out to the glacier. It just, uh, mm-hmm. um, it just, it was a spectacular. I, I think they've they've done a fantastic job with the place, and and on top of that, the fishing was fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, now let me let me explain the girls wakeboarding. Okay, this is Kevin. <laughs> I know my wife's going. You didn't tell me there were girls wakeboarding. All right, here's the deal. Kevin Flash, his wife, his twin daughters went. Abby and Kendall, and uh, these girls were so much fun. They're in college now, but they said we want to go wakeboarding, and the water was like glass. I mean, literally like glass. And uh, so uh, Daryl Boss Hart out there, or Boshart, I should say, uh, took them out, and they did some wakeboarding right there by the lodge. And, I mean, it was absolutely cool, and they did fantastic. And, uh, and David, like to say, man, from the minute we get off, of course, they pick us up in Juneau, fly us on their plane, and and we land there at the dock. And, man, from the minute that door opened, I mean, 
it was like first-class service from every um, staff member there at Pivas Point, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. That, that was one of the most impressive things. I mean, everybody, you know, quite a few people gone on some type of a fishing charter with us offshore or whatever. And, and usually the guys are generally, you know, pretty nice and everything. But, man, I tell you, I mean, everybody at Pivas, from the people that, that took your bags off the airplane to the people that were cleaning the fish to the, to the guides to the, uh, uh, to the uh, cooks, I mean, everybody was, just, a lot of them were young people, too, and they were just, I was, I was just amazed at how enthusiastic and, and how, how friendly and how helpful they, they were and they wanted to be. Mm-hmm. It was just, I mean, it was just a, a pleasant experience. I mean, just kind of woke up every day and knew that that's what you were going to, what you could expect and what you were going to get and just really helped uh, put a smile on your face. It was really just a fantastic trip. And like I said, it just, it really exceeded what I was thinking um, uh, of going on a fishing trip with you. Sure. Well, man, I'm so glad you got to go as well. And let me tell you, this is a great place. I know David would agree with me. This is a great place. Hey, got a few buddies that want to go. Um, you know, some girlfriends want to go on a girl's trip. Uh, you've got a couple. I mean, our our, our guy, uh, Captain Casey, said he had a couple with a 15-month-old baby there uh, just right before us. So, I mean, it's great for a corporate event. I mean, there's nothing that they cannot fulfill there from what you're looking for. You just need to communicate what you want to do. If it's fishing the full four days or if it's fishing a couple of days, want to go out and see glaciers, want to go out and see wildlife, want to just do some of the other activities they have there. And then, as David mentioned, and, of course, it doesn't get too dark there. So, man, after dinner, um, we ended up taking a skiff out. And, David, I've always heard the phrase when people are fishing, the one that got away. And, man, I'm telling you. That was the one that got away, your halibut there. We're guessing somewhere in that 175 to 200-pound range. Mm. <laughs> wow. And with Kevin, that, that was more like a darts rodeo show when he finally hooked it with a gaff for a while. And him just, I don't know if he got the eight seconds or not for the bull ride or not, but he, he was hanging off the deer life, and that thing was just jerking him uh, like, like crazy before finally you know broke the line and, and, and got off the gaff. But that was, that's got to be one of the funniest uh funniest videos that uh, you know that i've seen that was just <laughs> no it really really was and uh you know it was just so much fun and the relaxation of course you know and and i'm telling you the weather man we could not have picked a better better time of the weather uh just because i mean it was absolutely gorgeous i mean in juno when we landed we had the day there to spend before they picked us up on that tuesday but also just out there you know on the ocean and, and in the bay areas we fixed yeah. i mean it was absolutely gorgeous oh yeah absolutely i don't know how you know if we just lucked out or the weather up there that time of year is, is generally like that but it was yeah that was the weather was spectacular uh and you mentioned the um uh, you know how nice it is for all type of events and things and that's something that i thought after you know well a fishing camp in alaska it's more of a, a thing i'd want to do with some buddies or guys and uh but man, I would, you know, I'd love to take the wife and you know, take my wife and even family up there uh, because there's so much for them to do. If they, if they enjoy fishing, that's great. But if they want to hang back at the resort and do something else, you want to do, take another trip for that day. There's, there's plenty of activities and stuff for a whole family to do. Sure. Um, well, I'm, you know, our wives are very, very close friends, and I got a feeling we will be there again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'd be fine with that. Absolutely. That was, uh, gorgeous country up there um you know me living down in, in florida which i'd say it's great to get out of the heat yeah and, no doubt. And there's some, place, some nice 
cool weather like that this time of year. And we'll end it here, but I'm telling you, the polar plunge at the end, I'm guessing that water was about 48 degrees that a few of us chose to jump into. Son, that was that was cold. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was refreshing. That'll wake you up. That's definitely a wake-up. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, hey, man, I'm going to get you. Kevin uh, Flesh um, is going to join us here in, a, in another, uh, let's see, not this week, but next week. So I'm going to get him on and get Janet and the girls and yourself, and, and we're going to do a, a, a good show here about Pivas Point Lodge and uh, kind of get everybody's perspective on it once again. But I certainly want to get you on for a few minutes today. And, man, I really appreciate you going and had a blast with you. And uh, we're enjoying some halibut. And salmon yeah. and rockfish yeah. and all kinds of stuff right now. Yes, sure. Are. For sure. Delicious. Sure all right, David. Hey, man, safe travels in the skies above. And, uh, man, we will catch up real soon. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later, buddy. All right. That's David Fields. Once again, went with us on our trip to Pivas Point Lodge. Will, I just showed you that video. Wow. Holy okay. macaroni. That was like a bull ride there. <laughs> no, Kevin, I don't know how that fish would have Kevin had that thing up. with about a 12-inch gaff, okay? We didn't, we didn't have a plan, really. What if we go out and we do hook a big one? <laughs> there was no net, but we were not prepared. As you could. Now, was there a guide on the boat? No. <laughs> they let you take it out anywhere you want. And so, you know, and they, they got good screens in there and radars and tell you what all's going on, fish finders and your depths and all the different things. And Kevin just picked a spot. David dropped his line, and, dude, we were not there 30 seconds. Yeah. And that halibut hit it. And, I mean, the fight was on. <laughs> and, and was that, did, I think. I talked to Kevin. Maybe was that in like 250 feet of water? Or um, yeah, that, that was probably a, even a couple of hundred feet. Yeah, I might even be a little shallow. You know, when when I was uh, in uh, where the heck was I? Well, anyway, when I was in Alaska, when we fished at like 250, we would get the ones in the slot that were less than 40 inches, right. and then we had to get to like 500, 600. Mm-hmm. You know if we were going to run into something like that. I mean, so yeah. that's not even deep water, really, no. for that What's so fish. cool is fishing there, and I'm, I'm be honest, I'm about 90% hunter and 10% fishing guy, but I love fishing there. You never know what's coming up. Right. I mean, yeah. that's what's cool. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, once again, Davis Tent, hey, check them out, 4230 Broadway, 303-561-1817, and um, I'm telling you, Will does a lot. He d- doesn't just, you know, have a tent company. Will is involved in a lot of things. As Dan Gates mentioned, you know, helped sponsor the Outdoorsman Days. It's going to be going on a lot, August 11th and the 12th. And uh, so, Will, man, we thank you for all you do, and including helping me be on my show. So <laughs> we thank you for that, sir. Yeah, my pleasure. You know, it's in the outdoors and conservation uh, is important to us. It's important to me personally. It's important to my wife. And so... Yeah, we want to do everything that we can, and we hope that we can encourage a lot of people to come along with us on this journey. And if you can give 10 bucks or 25 or 100 along sure. the way, it, it makes all the difference in the up. world. Absolutely. So. Once again, those Outdoorsman Days, August 11th and 12th, go to ColoradoOutdoorsmansDays.com for the full agenda. And uh, once again, just a lot of great folks are going to be there, a lot of experts, and it's going to be a fun couple of days, so I hope you can make it. Hey, we want to thank all of our guests today, but mostly thank you for joining us for Sportsman Colorado. Remember now, if you miss us on Saturdays, catch us twice on Sundays at 8 a.m. and once again 7 p.m. on Sundays. Thanks for being with us. Hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you next week.
The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker, commentators, hosts, their guests, and callers. They are not necessarily the views and opinions of Crawford Broadcasting or KLZ Management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.